Well, hey, I am so glad that you are here this morning as we jump into the season of Advent. And who is ready for Advent? All right, we have a bit of enthusiasm. I like it. All right, what is it about Advent that gets you so jazzed up? I'm going to ask you, you're staring right in front of me, sorry. It's uh, <laughs> getting ready, yeah, for the birth of Jesus, Christ coming into this world. I mean, hard to believe we're at the end of another year, is it not? The thing about Advent, you're like, all right, the year is winding down. Time of celebration, a lot of fun, a lot of joy, hopefully. Uh, Advent it probably brings up a whole bunch of emotions. Uh, many are good, but in reality, some of them might be a bit mixed. Maybe it brings up some emotions that we've kind of pushed down throughout the rest of the year. As we jump into this season of Advent, I want to talk a bit briefly about what Advent is all about. Uh, I talk about this every single year, so I thought, oh, that's the title of today's sermon, Emmanuel, which sounds like a great way to bring in the season of Christmas, right? I mean, how's that for a Christmas sermon title, Emmanuel? Anyone uh, listen to that song? By, uh, who's it by? Amy Grant? Emmanuel. <laughs> Why do we do Advent? Why do we do Advent every single year? Why do we devote four weeks out of the year to talking about the birth of Jesus? Advent is a season in the church calendar. It's a season that I absolutely love. I never celebrated Advent growing up. I heard about it, but the only thing I associated Advent with was Advent calendars and those little chocolates that come with it. And then as I started doing some reading and research, I realized, whoa, there is so much power and meaning behind Advent. These four weeks leading up to December 25th, leading up to the birth of Jesus, the day in which we celebrate the birth of Christ, th th there's so much that happens in those four weeks. So much that happens within our hearts. Because Advent is a season of preparation. It's a time for us to prepare our hearts to receive. I asked, well, why are you jazzed up about Advent? Adrian, I love your response. Because uh, we're preparing for Jesus coming. At the end of Advent, we know what happens at the end. Uh, that's the, the climax, what, what we're all pointing towards. But what happens in those moments leading up to that moment? My prayer for us, the same prayer I have every single Advent season, but I think it's a prayer, uh, it's a reminder that we need every single year because this season, I've looked at my calendar. Anyone else? Uh, we, we use uh, Google Calendar. I know that's funny because I just did a, a series on algorithms. You're like, Google Calendar? We shouldn't be doing that. They're going to track where I'm going and what I'm doing. Uh, we use Google Calendar, and every single person in the house has a different color. I popped up my December calendar. Oh my goodness, the amount of color that's in that calendar. And we're still about three, four days away from the beginning of December. Yet the color is everywhere. And that's what can happen if we're not careful. Is we can pack this season with so much stuff. And what I realized this year, and I've known it before, but it's a truth that I saw again this year. Black Friday and all the sales that are being thrown your way, do not help prepare us for the birth of Jesus. Because you know what it does? It produces a sense of anxiety within us. I have to get the deal. 
I have to go shopping today. I can't, I can't miss this lightning deal. If I miss this deal, whoo, I'm going to be paying too much for this gift. If I, if I don't get the gifts now, are there going to be any left on the shelves when I go two weeks from now? Or what's the price going to be? So we start Advent with this holiday called Black Friday, which is the exact opposite, uh, the antithesis of what Christmas and the birth of Jesus is all about. And yet this is how we usher in the season of Advent. Now, hopefully uh, we can refrain from it. I know the pull is strong. The pull is there. It's like the force sucking us in. I, I get it. If we're not careful this season, we can fill our lives with so many different activities. And they can be really good activities. I mean, most of the things that are on the calendar, they're, they're getting together with people, with friends, with family. Which, yes, that's a part of Advent. But as we begin this season of Advent, my prayer is that we would leave a little space for our hearts. For us to receive. Uh, We want to prepare ourselves so that on December 25th, when we wake up on Christmas morning and celebrate the birth of Jesus, there's some space there within our hearts to receive all the goodness Advent, love, joy, peace. These are the things that we want to receive, that I want to receive, and what I believe you truly desire to receive this season of Advent. They're the gifts that God desires to bestow upon each of us. We celebrate Advent so that we can prepare our hearts for what's to come. And it's a reminder to not miss that moment. I love how one person put it. Advent is the moment before the moment. I love that. Heard that a couple years ago, and I I just can't get that image out of my mind. Imagine you're, you're sitting kind of in seats like you are now. Maybe you're at a Broadway show, and you're waiting for the curtain to go up. There's a little background music, but the anticipation inside of you You can't wait for that curtain to go up and for the show to begin. That, to me, is a beautiful picture of what Advent is all about. We're sitting here. We're waiting. The curtain is down. But we're anticipating the moment when the curtain will rise. For this season of Advent, I have titled our series, Christmas, Past, Present, Future. Any idea where I got this from? Christmas Carol. I am the ghost of Christmas past, present, future. Why are we going to be talking about this? Why have I titled this series Christmas, Past, Present, Future? Because in Matthew's birth narrative, which is the portion of scripture that we will be looking at together this year, Matthew quotes from the Old Testament five times. Five times throughout his story of the birth of Jesus, he says this was done in order to fulfill what the prophets had said. Matthew looks back in order to talk about the present. Uh, And here's why Matthew quotes what I believe, uh, as I just mentioned. He's looking back to explain the present. Uh, This has two implications for us today in Advent 2022. First, buried within Matthew's birth story, are universal truths that transcend time and place. Let me explain that. 
because maybe your head is a little like, what did Dave just say? I don't understand. The series makes no sense. Let me break it down for you a little bit. Here's what I'm saying. What was true at the birth of Jesus was also true before his birth. And then it was true at the time of Matthew's writing, which Matthew, he wasn't writing on the day in which Jesus was born. Matthew is looking back a little bit. So the book of Matthew was compiled, was put together maybe in the 80s or 90s, somewhere after 70 Common Era. So what was true at the birth of Jesus was true before his birth at the time of Matthew's writing. It's also true for us today, and it will be true forever into the future. What's happening here is Matthew is communicating eternal, these universal truths through the story of Christmas. Now here's the second implication. The truth of Christmas, which is the birth of God into our world, is hidden all around us. These universal truths that Matthew is communicating, these timeless truths, they're hidden all around us. Advent helps us to slow down. Hopefully. To pull the plug a little bit, create some space for silence, to listen, so that we can recognize these truths in our lives. I I was thinking about this series one night, and I was about to put Reese to bed, and I came up with, I, I think I came up with this, this idea, and I was putting him to bed, so we were, we were in the dark. I had my phone in my pocket, so I ended up taking my phone out, and I, I made a, a voice memo for myself so that I didn't forget it. And I was speaking into my phone, and Reese obviously heard this, and he goes, is that true? I'm like, is what true? He's like, is it true that Christmas is hidden all around us? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's definitely true. It's like, is Christmas hidden in this house? Yeah, it's right here. It's like, is Christmas here in this bed? I'm like, yeah. The, the truth of Christmas, that God's presence is with you, I'm like, Reese, it's true. The presence of God is all around everywhere you go. Advent done right, I think, helps us recognize this truth. It helps us see that God is right here with us. So that's the question we'll be asking for this season of Advent. How, practically speaking, how do we discover and experience these eternal truths today? We'll begin in the beginning of Matthew's story, in Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary, you ever get goosebumps when you read this story? There's just something about reading the story. It reminds you of the, the Peanuts Christmas special, possibly. Uh, come on, work with me. There's something about reading this story, especially if you haven't read it throughout the year, and you're like, we're here. We're at this moment. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And here's Matthew's quoting of the Old Testament. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now the question we have to ask is where did this scripture come from in the Old Testament? It comes from the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, notice the similarity. It's pretty much a direct quote. Therefore, this is Isaiah speaking. Uh, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What exactly is going on here in the story of Isaiah? I'm going to let you know. First, Isaiah was speaking to King Ahaz of Judah. At this time, Israel was split into two different kingdoms. You had the north and you had the south. Judah would have been in the Bible history 101. South, uh, where Jerusalem is. Uh, king Ahaz, as we know, uh, not, not really a great king. Uh, many of the kings, not so good. If you read through Kings and Chronicles, uh, they're distinguished. He was a good king. He was a bad king. Most of them, bad kings. Ahaz... Not a great king, involved in a bunch of idolatry, which is not the thing that God is going for if you are the king of his people. Isaiah is speaking to King Ahaz. At the time in which I, when Isaiah is speaking, Ahaz and Judah were in a war. They were in a war uh, with Syria and Ephraim, which would have been the northern kingdom of Israel. The reason why they're in the war is because Ahaz, or Ahaz would not support those other nations' revolt against the superpower Assyria. This was known as the Syro-Ephraimite War. And I have a map to show you what this would have looked like on the board. You notice Assyria up there? Uh, Nineveh is a part of Assyria. Giant global superpower of the day. They want to conquer as much land as they possibly can. So they start going there to Syria that you see on the top, and then Israel, which would have been the northern kingdom. Uh, two closest kingdoms right there to Assyria. They would just come right down through Syria, and then they would go and conquer Israel. So Israel, Ephraim, would have had an alliance with Syria to push back against Assyria. And they're saying, hey, Ahaz, we need you to support us. We need you to fight against Assyria. If you do not, they will conquer you and your people, people as well. Now, Ahaz was thinking about forming an alliance with Assyria at the time because he knew how big they were. He knew how powerful they were. And so he said, you know what? Forget these little guys. They're going to be conquered anyway. Let me form an alliance with Assyria. But then Isaiah comes, from a comes with a message from God saying, uh-uh, no, 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 it's not the best. 
for you and your people. This isn't what God has for you. So Isaiah goes to Ahaz with a message of hope in the midst of this war and all these questions about, well, which side should I support? And he says, oh, when, uh, when Ahaz, I love this uh, in Isaiah 7 too, uh, when uh, Ahaz and all of Judah heard about this alliance and that they were coming for him, it says that they were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Isn't that great imagery? You ever been shaken as the trees in the forest are shaken by the wind? There's a sense of fear within you, a little bit of anxiety. You can feel yourself getting pushed over a little bit. Uh, so there was a whole, uh, there's a sense of dread, giant dread in the kingdom of Judah. So Isaiah is sent to Ahaz to strengthen his faith and declare that God will send a sign of faithfulness. In the midst of their fear, God will send a sign of faithfulness to Ahaz and his people. And here it is. Here's the sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and the son's name will be Emmanuel. Now, what exactly is the sign? It's that a child will be born. The child's name will be Emmanuel, God with us. He's saying this sign, it's, it's a sign to be, you're not to hold fear in your heart because God is with you. And this child will show God's promise of protection, God's faithfulness, God's never-ending faithfulness to you. Now, there is no full agreement on who this child that Isaiah is talking about was. Uh, scholars have a whole bunch of different ideas about who this child would have been, but what we do know is that the child that Isaiah is speaking about is not Jesus. Because the promise to Ahaz was made to Ahaz and his people in their particular time and place. This was not a promise for the future, to a future group of people. Rather, this was a promise to Ahaz and his people in the midst of all that they were facing in life and all the fear that they held in their hearts. We know this is not about Jesus because if you were to read the next couple of verses, Isaiah goes on, he says, He will be eating, this child will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of those two kings, Syria, the northern kingdom of Israel, their lands will be laid waste. In other words, before your child is grown, before this child that's to be assigned is grown, those two kingdoms, those enemies, will be destroyed. This happened in the early 700s when Assyria came down and conquered Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel. So God was promising a tangible sign of his presence and his faithfulness to Ahaz in their time, not for the future. When Matthew quotes from the Old Testament, he is promising the same exact thing to the people of Israel. God's promise, God's faithfulness, God's presence that will be with you here and now. This was true 
the time of King Ahaz. It was true at the time in which Jesus was born. It was true when Matthew was writing. And there was quite a bit going on in the time in which Matthew was writing. It's also true for us in our lives today. God is offering a tangible sign of his presence and his faithfulness to each of us. Which raises a question, why do we need to hear this story, the story about the birth of Jesus into our world? Why do we need to be reminded of it every 12 months? Why is it such a large season within the church calendar? Why do we devote four weeks out of the year to talking about the birth of Jesus? Four questions. Do you ever feel like God is distant? Do you ever feel like God is absent? Do you ever feel like God is removed from this world? Do you ever feel like God is removed from your situation? You look around and you ask yourself, God, where are you? I, I don't see your hand at work. I read all these stories. I hear about other people's experiences, but my life, where, where are you? Do you ever feel abandoned by God? I think we all experience moments in life when it feels as if God is absent. I've experienced these moments. Some last longer than others. Uh, some are there for a few moments, and then it's like a, a switch gets flipped. Other moments last weeks, months. For some people, the loss of God can last for years. C.S. Lewis, a great uh, Christian writer, he wrote a book after his wife had passed away called A Grief Observed. And he's wrestling with the loss of God that he experienced with the passing of his wife. And here's what he writes. Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to, turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You ever experience a moment like this? You go to God and it feels like the door just gets slammed in your face. You're looking for an answer. You're looking for a sign. And it's not there. And the only thing you find is silence. What Christmas does, what Advent does, it embraces the darkness. 
It embraces the silence of God. It doesn't simply skim over it. It doesn't try to pretend like those moments don't exist, but it enters into those moments when it feels like God is absent. And it whispers, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to offer a sign of God's presence that is with you. In the midst of all the fear that you might be feeling, the loss that you might be experiencing, I'm going to offer a sign to you. Now, when we think about Christmas, what day do we celebrate Christmas on? The 25th. Is that the day when Jesus was born on December 25th? No. Jesus' birthday is not December 25th. It's a symbolic date that we have chosen. Now, December 25th was chosen sometime around in the 300s, maybe the 350s is when it became the official date of celebrating Christmas. And do you know what was celebrated on that day before it became known as Christmas? If you go by the Roman calendar, December 25th would have been the celebration of the winter solstice. Today, the winter solstice for us is December 21st. Back then, it was uh, seen as December the 25th. What December 25th has symbolized, even before it was known as Christmas, is this movement from darkness to light. The winter solstice is the darkest day. And then the next day, we get a few more moments of sunlight. And the next day, a few more. But leading up to that, the world is becoming darker and darker and darker. And it was believed that on the winter solstice, it's the day in which the sun was reborn. So Christians celebrating the birth of Jesus said, well, let's just take this holiday, let's just take this celebration, and we'll make it about Jesus. Because the birth of Jesus was seen as the dawning of a new day, the birthing of a new world, all the darkness. And if you read the Christmas story, really read it closely, both in Matthew and Luke, what you'll come to notice, even in John, when it talks about Jesus coming into this world, what you'll notice is all of these images of darkness. Christmas starts in the dark. And then ever so slowly, or in one moment, God breaks through with light. Christmas is the story of darkness to light. It's the story of the silence, the absence that we experience. The story of a sign breaking through in those moments. So if we want to talk about a practical sign, Ahaz had a child, that would be a sign. Jesus was the child, that was to be a sign. What exactly is the sign for us today in our lives? How do we recognize the presence of God today in our lives? When I think about my life, when I think about the darkness, the losses that I've experienced, when it feels like God is absent, what is the thing that has got me through? What has reminded me 
of God's faithfulness to me and God's presence that is there with me. It's human presence. The presence of each other. What's the sign of God's presence today? It's us. It's us being there for each other. When someone's going through a difficult moment, hey, I'll, I'll be praying for you. And then checking in, hey, how you doing? Bring a meal to someone. Maybe they can't get out of the house. Maybe they've just lost a loved one. What's the tangible sign of God's presence? It's us being there for one another. And I think Matthew picks up on this idea brilliantly. He begins his story by talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And here's how Matthew ends his gospel. In Matthew 28, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's how Matthew ends his gospel, pretty much how he begins it. Jesus says to his disciples, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This passage is known as the Great Commission. What Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, as you have experienced the presence of God, the transformation that Christ brings in your life, you are now to be that presence for the world. You are to now go out and be the presence of God for every single person you meet. So as we go through Advent this season, as we fill our calendar, and yes, there will be parties, there will be moments of celebration, we'll get together with family. Here's what I want you to do this season. I want you to consciously remind yourself everywhere you go, you are a symbol of God's presence for the world. Every party you go to, every family celebration you participate in, even when you're in the store shopping, this Advent season, I want you to remember, you are a sign of God's faithfulness to this world through your life and through your presence. How are we reminded that God is with us? It's through the love that we show to each other. So as we close here this morning, I want to celebrate Eucharist. I want to celebrate communion, which is another symbol, another sign of God's faithfulness to us. So as we come up, as we take the bread, we take the cup, we remember the death of Jesus on a cross for our lives, the death that brings newness and wholeness to our lives. I want you to remember Emmanuel, 
God is with you. God is with all of us. God has not abandoned this world. And you are now being sent out. As you experience that presence in your life, you are now being sent out to be that symbol for every other person you meet.